This is Football CFB, the home of unique football content. I never told you You scared off the vultures I never told you You scared off the ghosts living in my head That lay lonely in the dirt That Absolutely overjoyed to be joined today on Football CFB by Guy Whittingham. Guy's had a really interesting career. He, he scored goals for fun at Portsmouth. He, he's also played for clubs such as Aston Villa, Sheffield Wednesday. Um, and, and, and crucially, he's also been a manager in the game as well. He's managed Portsmouth. He's, he's been an assistant manager. And, and, and for me, the reason that I really wanted to get Guy on is because He's got quite an incredible story and quite an incredible journey. He was he was in the army um, before he started playing football. He had experiences in non-league football. So, Guy, first of all, thank you so much for joining me. Oh, Callum, it's a pleasure. I think it's uh, it's great what you're doing. I think there's there's lots of avenues now for people to to listen to football, especially at this time. I'm, I know fans are fans are coming back, but uh, you know people want to want to listen about football and want to talk about football. So it's a great outlet for everybody. No, I really do appreciate that. And before we get into to your career and your experiences, I want to start with the here and now. You, you, you obviously have managed Portsmouth, as we'll come to later, but you're currently working for the English FA. I am, yes. Um, I'm a coach developer. Uh, I currently uh, lead the UEFA Pro Licence for the English FA, um, but I also uh, go into uh, my two clubs at Chelsea and Spurs, where I go and work with their academy coaches on their qualifications. So it's a, it's a great um, breadth of, uh, of football I see, you know, from, from under nines to, uh, to first team, uh, Premier League football and Champions, Champions League football, uh, I get to see. Um, so very fortunate to be working uh, in, in the game I love. And it's not work. It's just not work. I just call it football. <laughs> Absolutely. And, and football is the dream job for, for so many up and down the country. In terms of um, coaching and coaches coming through, are you really excited about the future? Because you, you see the amount of young coaches that have had opportunities in, in recent years, um, especially, I would say, in the EFL. Do you feel that in the next sort of 10 to 15 years, we could see quite a few more of them hopefully reach the Premier League? Well, obviously, we hope so. Um, I mean, ultimately, um, you know, you're, you're judged on your results. So, um, you know, if and anything can contribute to that, as we know. Um, but if, if you stay at it hard enough and long enough and you study the game enough, uh, study other people around you, other managers, other coaches that have done well, find that find not so much the secrets because um, everything works different for, for everybody. Um, but I think, you know, I think we can be, you know, proud of the coaches we've got coming through. Um, you know, Graham Potter at, uh, at Brighton, Frank Lampard at Chelsea, to, to name two. You know that are that have that have come through our courses and, and doing reasonably well. So you know, I hope in the future that more will come through. We one thing we've got to try and do is ensure that the players that have played the game at the highest level want to be coaches and managers because they have got so much experience, so much to bring to the table for young players. I, I think you're, you're spot on with that. I mean, you, you think of the likes of, of Stephen Gerrard, Frank Lampard, as, as you mentioned, and, and these sort of guys are who you want to, 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 to play an active role in coaching because as great as it is to see the likes of Gary Neville and, and Jamie Carragher, Rio Ferdinand on our television screens, I think for, for young players coming through, and crucially for clubs as well, it'd be great to see these guys in coaching and, and, and management really sharing their incredible experience of the elite level with the players that they have but as I say hopefully that's the case in the future but I want to start with your playing career crucially though before you started playing football I believe you were in the army which is quite a unique journey from the army to to, to the top flight of English football yeah it's a different pathway isn't it um you know a keen sportsman as a kid uh played you know fortunately when I went to school you could you know, the, the, the terms were split up into rugby, football, cricket and athletics. So I, I got to play all sports and loved all of them. Um, that's where I'd rather be outside, kicking the football around or running. So, um, you know, my enthusiasm for that was, 
was pushed on by my PE teacher at, uh, at a senior school. Um, and the main reason really I joined the army was you go to all these factories and offices uh, on your careers information days to see what you're going to do. University wasn't really a thing then, um, not for me. Um, so I, I just didn't fancy working in a factory or an office. So, um, you know, my dad had done service in the RAF um, just after the war. Um, so I went along to the um, recruitment center, um, ended up going on a, an assessment center into the army, uh, was told, um, was given brochures on what to do, passed some tests. I could do any job I wanted to in the army. I plumped to do a vehicle mechanic because I thought, well, that'll, be, that'll give me a career. You know, once I come up the army, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll be useful at doing something. I can tinker around with cars or whatever. Anyway, they told me they weren't any places. I could be an armorer, which I didn't have a clue what it was, but I said, yes, okay, that'll do. I'll do that. <laughs> and then I found out it was uh, fixing all small weapons from uh, from the cannons that go on to the uh, to the small tanks to to pistols. So that's what I ended up doing. Uh, but as soon as I got in there, I, I knew I just wanted to be a PTI, and that was that was the route I took. And in terms of you, your break into football, it was at Waterlooville. Obviously, the club are now dissolved as we know it. But what did you learn from that experience in in, in non league football? Because you think of the amount of players that have got incredible journeys from non-league to the top level. I mean, most recently, Jamie Vardy, but you think of the likes of Ian Wright, Les Ferdinand, and, and of course yourself. What was it about that period of time that really helped you kick on and establish yourself very quickly? Yeah, well, that season, I played 100 games before um, before I joined Portsmouth. So it was for, for Waterlooville, although they're now called Haven't Waterlooville, in the uh, National South. Um, I then joined Yeovil, um, so those were the two non-league teams I played for. Then I played for five teams within the army, starting from a unit all the way up to the combined services. So uh, a myriad of experiences and playing against some defenders that were pretty poor and other defenders that were very good, you know, for that standard. Because um, at the time we played the Dutch and the Dutch had conscripts, so some of their players were actually at clubs, at Dutch clubs. So because of that, and I heard... Um, uh, oh God, the, name slips, the name slips me now. Um, Michael, who's who's a striker from 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 um, from Liverpool that went on to uh, Real Madrid? Michael Owen. Michael Owen. <laughs> when you get old, your brain goes. That's for sure. I heard him talking uh, about uh, why he felt he was a good finisher because sometimes he'd play against teams when he was younger that it was hard to score against. In other games, he scored ten. But those games allowed him to practice different types of finishing. And that was exactly the same for me. I think that's so important when you're playing uh, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a young kid or, or coming through the age groups, is have those difficult games and those easy games so you can practice stuff and not worry about it. Um, anyway, that was the journey I took. I scored 99 goals in that season. Uh, I was playing for the Combined Services. Uh, a friend of, well, not a friend, our, our, my, uh, my coach in my unit, the Army, his... His son was down at uh, Portsmouth in their School of Excellence, as it was called at the time. It's now obviously academies. He he was watching his son train. Alan Ball comes along. He mentions to Alan Ball, "Listen, you need to come and watch a couple of guys have got playing in the army," and that's uh, and that's where it kicked off. But certainly the experience of playing non-league um, and all those combined services and army games certainly helped me uh, home home. I suppose my my my, my finishing skills. And in terms of the, the journey from Army, Waterlooville and Yeovil to Portsmouth, what's it like when you arrive at Portsmouth? Because, again, people listening to this might not essentially be aware of how big Portsmouth are, but they are a massive, massive club in the area. You know, they, they pack their, their stadium week in, week out, regardless of what division they are in. And the fans are just so fanatical, as you know. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I think what I, what I might bring in, um, from my family, my career in the army uh, certainly taught me about um, respect for people, hard work. Um, you only get out of life what you put in. Um, uh, being part of a team. So I think when I started playing for Portsmouth, I, I had that in me already. Um, and, and, and listen, certainly Portsmouth fans because they're you know they're island based. It's a mentality that's there. Um, Fans, fans at any clubs I've experienced and, and I've played for, if you put everything on the pitch, even if you have a bad performance, they'll, they'll be right with you. You know, they'll, they'll be okay with you. Even if you don't play very well, but you've given everything you've got and they see that, generally they're okay with you. 
Um, so that's that's all I tried to do in, in all my games I played. And I think obviously with Portsmouth and the goals, you know, that, that certainly helped my relationship with all the fans. Who were the big characters when, when you went into Portsmouth in the, in, in the playing department? Because obviously Jim Smith, you worked with Jim and... And as we all know, Jim is an icon of, of football who is is, is, is is someone who's sadly sadly missed because everyone I've spoken to that's played under Jim, I've spoken to Craig Burley and, and Kevin Harper recently and both of them just say the same thing about him, just the funniest guy, the nicest guy, um, but crucially very passionate and wanted to win every single game, even if it was a friendly. Yeah, a, a true football man, you know, in every sense. He's... Uh... He was great to be around with, um, you know, knew what he wanted um, and told you, was straight with you. You know, he, you could have a laugh and a giggle with him and he loved that. You know, he loved, a, you know, a good glass of wine and, and a, you know, a, a, a good social. But when it came to, to work time and playing time, he knew what he wanted and he demanded it from you. Um, probably my best man manager that I, that I had with him and David Pleat were the, were the two, I think, that were really... Um, really strong from from the man management point of view. For me, it might be different for players, but for me, um, and just I don't think I'd ever had a conversation with him that wasn't about football. You know, just wanted to talk football, and and as you said, really passionate about the game. For, for yourself as well, in ninety one ninety two, you score thirteen league goals, and then the the following season in ninety two ninety three, it just seems like every single game you go into, you score. 47 goals in one season, which was as a Portsmouth all-time record. I mean, just sum up what it was like for you going into that season as a striker, because, again, from the outside looking in, it just seemed to be every game you played, you scored the goal. Yeah, I think uh, I think we've got to go back to the end of the previous season. Um, like, as you said, 13 goals that season was was, was from my standards and, uh, and, for me, really disappointing. I'd had a couple of, couple of injuries. Um, and when I first joined Portsmouth coming out of the army, I was I was really fit, really fit. And I just felt I wasn't doing enough fitness-wise um, to do what I wanted to do on the football pitch. Um, so I went and sourced a, a, a fitness coach. Uh, he was an athletics coach, actually, a guy called Arvel Lowe, who worked with Team Solent down here, athletics club. Um, and we did a we did a pre-season, pre-season, if you like. Um, four weeks before pre-season started, uh, I started the pre-season, pre-season with him. Um, just at the Mountbatten Centre, which is an athletics track uh, in Portsmouth on the island. And uh, yeah, he, he put me through his paces. Um, met up with Roger Black a couple of times on the, on the, uh, on the track. Didn't race him, didn't want to. <laughs> but um, no, it was, it, that, I think that's what really got me going. I think that really got me fit, got my body fit. Um, and that helped prevent injuries. I, I, I really believe that. I was stronger. My legs were stronger. My core was stronger. Uh, and I think that, that helped me avoid it, uh, as many injuries that I had the season before. Um, and then, and then the team, you know, uh, I've just watched a, a video this morning, actually, um, you know, past goals against Peterborough. Um, and although they're all within the six yard box, I do run around a bit, but they're all balls that I'm getting on the end of, you know, you got, you had Ray Daniel, uh, you know, delivering great crosses. You had Mark Chamberlain delivering great crosses. You had Aaron McLaughlin taking the eyes off the defenders because he's making a late run in the box. And then of course you had Paul Walsh. Um, you know, who I robbed lots of goals off because <laughs> he'd shoot the keeper saver at the post and I'd knock the rebound in. So, you know, it was just a, it was just a great combination of uh, players that were that were actually there at the time. Um, you know, and it just it just clicked. I, I mean, Paul Walsh was was sensational there. Um, you know, and and it's it's a long-standing joke that you know I scored all those goals, but he got player of the season. But he deserved it. Absolutely deserved it. And in terms of the, the period at Portsmouth, especially in your first spell, you're scoring goals, you're happy. You, you mentioned the banter off the park there as well. How gutting was it to miss out on automatic promotion to the Premier League? Yeah, um, I work for BBC Radio Solid now doing the, the, all the games for Portsmouth. And every every time we have Sunderland, and we had them recently, we talk about the game at Sunderland where we lost 4-1. And we had two players sent off that then weren't available for the playoffs. And it was, it was you know, Paul Walsh was one of them. Um, you know, it was it was it was gut wrenching, really was. Um, because you know, from that that point then, we're struggling a bit here now. You know, we yes, we're in the playoffs. We we miss we missed promotion by one goal. Um, Jim Smith still blames me for that one because I missed a goal, I missed a penalty against Peterborough. Uh, but um, you know, it's it's uh, yeah. You look back on that and you just think what could have been. But that's the story of many players and many football clubs, and that's why we're so passionate about football. 
that's why fans are so passionate about football because it's the what ifs, the nearlies. And then when you do achieve something, it's it's absolutely fantastic. So yeah, you know, it's there's never one reason for that, but it was, yeah, it was. And ultimately, um, you know, I left the club uh, because, you know, I was 28 by that time uh, and I didn't, you know, I didn't think I was going to get another opportunity to play in the Premier League. And no matter what you do work-wise, you know, what, no matter whether you're in offices or whether you're in a factory or whether you're outside doing something, I think you always want to challenge yourself against the best that there is. And that's what I wanted to do. You mentioned the fact there's interest in you. You want to test yourself against the best. Aston Villa are the side you choose to join. The manager, of course, the great Ron Atkinson, a big character in, in football history. What was he like when, when you signed for the club? What did he say when, when you were considering joining them? No, he was uh, he was one that was uh, that loved, again, passionate about football, loved, loved banter with players, uh, felt that... Um, you know, he, he, he riled players up to get the best out of them, I think, which didn't work so much for me, but I think it worked with a lot of players. Um, again, could put his arm around you, could uh, could encourage you. Um, loved the five-a-side as well. Really loved the five-a-side. <laughs> so, um, you know, always felt he was the best player. Always used to stand on, stand, stand on the touchline in the five-a-side at, uh, at Body Morphe Village Training Ground and said, give it to your best player. Give it to your best player, uh, which was him, obviously, in any five-a-side. Um, yeah, and, and look, going there, um, you know, I knew I knew it was a real challenge because the team had lots of internationals. It's a Premier League, you know, Daniel Atkinson and Dean Saunders up front. Um, you know, Dean Saunders was a was a regular goal scorer. Daniel Atkinson uh, could have easily played for England. Most powerful player apart from Paul McGrath, uh, who was also lucky to play with. Uh, most most powerful player I've played with. Real, um, you know, when he wanted to turn on, you couldn't stop Daniel Atkinson. But it was just a great experience, you know, going, you know, I turned up there on the first training day and I couldn't quite train yet because I don't think the paperwork had gone through properly as yet. So I was training on my own and I was just watching them all, just watching them all sort of start uh, start their training and all looking over. And I, I'd met them in the change room. Uh, Daley and Atkinson had come up to my face and said, just went, went to me uh, really, really sternly, you're going to take my place, are you? I went, well, I want to. Are you going to let me? And he just started laughing. So, so it was, uh, it was, it was great. It, again, any football change room is full of banter, and and you have to challenge yourself. You know, um, you have to challenge yourself in in, uh, in life, and that's 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 what the move to Villa was for me. And and one of the big reasons for for going to Villa, I think, obviously, Jim Smith and Ron Atkinson were good pals. Um, but I also uh, the reason why I, I wanted to go there because it was it was one of the teams I supported as a kid. My uncle supported Wolves, and my granddad supported Aston Villa. So um, it was a it was a pleasure to play for him. I mean, you look at the the changing room. You you mentioned Daley and Atkinson. You mentioned Dean Saunders. Just so many big characters in there. I mean, Paul McGrath, who who you've spoken about. You think of even Nigel Spink, who'd obviously been a, oh, a, a, Euro, a European Cup winner. Andy Townsend, Neil Cox, someone else who's went on to be a manager. I mean, what was the what was it like in training when when you finally were able to get into training? No disrespect to Portsmouth, of course, but when you joined Villa in the Premier League with those names that I've just mentioned and m- many more, does the standard just go up that extra notch? Yes, absolutely, and it's and it's also a standard. If you don't do it, you ain't you ain't joining in. You know, if you don't stand up for yourself, if you can't control the ball, if you keep giving the ball away, they ain't giving the ball to you. You know, Ray Houghton, uh, Kevin Richardson, Steve Staunton, Andy Townsend. I was on the end of some tongue rations from them. I could tell you. <laughs> I really can, but but that's where you have to have the mental resilience to go through that, be strong, stand up to it, and get better, and prove to them that you know I was I was somebody who'd come from the league below, scored a lot of goals. They were like, "Come on, then, show us what you got." So you have to do that. You have to do that absolutely. You know, Nigel Spink, Mark Bosnich, fantastic goalkeeper. Um, you know, some great some great players there, some younger players as well. You know, Dwight York was there at the time as well. What a career he went on time on. Um, you know, it was it, it was just it was just full of full of good players, which you expect for the Premier League, and they're a different animal, definitely a different animal from those. You know, and, and you usually find that the best players are play at the highest level, not only for their uh, ability in terms of their football ability, but also their mental strength as well. You know, they're the characters that make it because you know they are so determined to succeed. What would you say was the main difference between the old First Division and the Premier League? Because 
the, the Premier League, obviously, as we know it now, is, is a global entity. And, and when you joined Villa, it was it was in its infancy. What what was it like compared to, to the old first division where you were with Portsmouth? Yeah, it was, I think it was the second season when I joined Villa. Um, yeah, it was obviously, you know, bigger crowds. <laughs> that goes without saying. Uh, and the intensity, I think, the intensity of every game, the importance of staying in, in the top in the top division, I think was really, uh, really something that uh, struck home to me. And, and no game was an easy game. You know, you could you could get away with games uh, for Portsmouth in, in, in league, the old league one, uh, the championship as it is now, um, where you weren't quite at your best and you, you'd get a decent result. In the Premier League, you couldn't against any team. And in terms of yourself in the Premier League, um, with Villa, you do score some very important goals. You scored against Everton, Arsenal, Sheffield United. What was it like scoring in the Premier League? And, and even now, with the power of hindsight, do you look back on those moments with, with extra pride, considering it was the elite level of English football? And where do you come from, as we've talked about already? Yeah, obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm proud that I've scored goals in the Premier League. I think it's something that... Uh, well. Obviously, not everybody gets to do. You know, not everybody that plays football or even plays in the Premier League get to do. So, obviously, I'm proud of the record I've got for that. Um, but as a but as a goal scorer, it's another goal. It's another goal. That's the thing. All all goals uh, are, are are fantastic for me. You know, when I was playing, it didn't matter how they were scored, who they were scored against. A goal was a goal, and I probably learned that from my uh, from my army days playing at all different levels. They're they're all important. You know, they're all important. Not only as an individual, but for your team. So, um, you know, it was, it, was, it was more special because, you know, I was doing it. it. I suppose in a way, when I first, you know, scoring my first goals at Villa proved to me that I could score at every level. Because I think you always, you will, I would have always wondered uh, if I hadn't have gone uh, from Portsmouth that year to, to whatever team, ended up going to Villa, obviously. Uh, I would have always wondered whether I could have scored goals on that level. So, you know, first and foremost, I think that's what it did to me, prove that, that I could do, that I was capable of doing that. Um, yeah, and then, and then you want to score as many as possible and you want to keep playing. But they, uh, time catches up with you. Managers have different choices of who they think is going to score goals. Um, but it was, you know, I, I look back at that Villa as, as, as huge learning for me about uh, the animal that was the Premier League player and, and, and obviously is today. You, you mentioned what it's like to, to learn. You, the way football works is strange. You mentioned Villa meaning a lot to you when you were younger. Wolves as well. Wolves are the club you end up joining and loan and. In, in February of, of 94, when you're not playing as regularly as you're used to, crucially, is it important to go out and loan and, and get those regular games under your belt? Because uh, as a footballer, you always want to play, no matter what level you're at, you, you want to be playing week in, week out, especially as a striker. No, I, yeah, it was. It was important for me. Um, you know, I, I, I didn't start playing professionally until I was 24, obviously. So, you know, at the best, I had 10, 11 years in me. So I didn't want to waste any of that time. Um, it's great training, you know, tra but it's games that count for players. And, and in those games, you get the chance to score goals. So, you know, when when you don't play for your the team you're signed to, um, you know, you read into the manager's mind that, well, obviously, I'm not first choice. Um, I can stay here and just play reserve team games and, pick up my wages, but I, I, I didn't want that. I, I didn't have time to do that. You know, I wanted to play as many games as I possibly could um, because, as I said, I only had those 10 or 11 years. So, uh, you know, a lone move. Uh, and I went on a few alone moves through my career um, at different different levels uh, within the league because I wanted to keep playing. Keeping playing is, is something that, with your background, you mentioned that, that breaking through 24 was was absolutely crucial. What's it like when you go out and loan? Because I always think when you're at a permanent club, um, you're relatively settled, I suppose, in the sense that you know you've got a contract there and you'll be there for, for at least a couple of years. But when you go on loan, it must be completely different because you know you're only there for a limited period of time. Yeah, it's very true. Um, you know, talking about it now and you saying that has made me think differently to when I was when I was on loan at those places because I just went there thinking it's an opportunity for, for me to play. Um, and it's, I suppose the strangest thing is just getting to know the players. You know them, but you don't know them, if you know what I mean. Uh, you know of them, but you, you have to get used to how they play, their characters. Um, and I've always, I think, um, I've, been, I've been fortunate enough that, you know, up to then I, I was, you know, uh, many social circles. Uh, I'm not a shy person. Um, I'm not overconfident, but I get on with people quite well. I, I strike up relations quite easily. 
so it was never I'm not sure I, it was never it was never a problem with me getting to know people um one of one of the ones i went to was, was watford and, and um tommy mooney was there at the time um and i and i and i that was probably one of the places um that I, that my, my loan period didn't work out as, as well as i wanted it to do but Graham Taylor said to me that, you know, what it did do was boost a couple of the other players that were there. So him, from his point of view, it was great because Tommy Mooney suddenly started scoring lots of goals, which is, which is great. Fantastic. You know, I've helped the team in some way. And I suppose that's my background in terms of being team led through army um, and, the, and the teams I played for, you know, throughout, throughout non-league. Um, it, it just made me be, I was a team player. So although um, I wasn't scoring the goals, I was playing, but somebody else was scoring. And, and if you're winning, everybody everybody wants to do that. In terms of Wolves, I mean, you, you scored goals when, when you're on that loan spell. Interest is, is is gathering in you. But crucially, you miss out on Villa winning the League Cup. Is that a bittersweet feeling, considering that you could have been part of the, that, that celebration? Well, I played in the earlier rounds. Um, I played against uh, I played against the Blues actually in the early round when we won. I think it was two one or two 0 We won there, um, so I'd been involved in in the in the in the matches. I was there at Spurs, um, so I actually got a medal, and I was actually there on the day, uh, being on loan at Wolves at the time. We played Charlton on the, I think on the Saturday away, and the the Wembley game was on the um, on the Sunday. Uh, so I joined up with all the group. Went to the, well, my wife joined up with all the girls. Um, so it was, it was a whole experience, but obviously I just wasn't involved with the team. But um, I was official cameraman for the day on those little camcorders when they first came out. <laughs> that was my tales for the day from the lads. So, um, so no, I was part of that whole experience, which is great to go along with. Obviously, you know, going to Wembley. Yes, I would love to have been part of the squad. If I'd been there still as a player, I don't think I would have been part of the squad anyway. Um, you know, if, if I hadn't been on loan at Wolves, I don't think I'd have been part of the match day squad. So... Uh, I, I really, I just, I just, you know, let myself get involved in the celebrations and the day as a whole. Brilliant. I'm glad to hear that. In terms of your next move permanently to, to Sheffield Wednesday, how much did it mean to you to secure another Premier League club? Because the, the, there was there a feeling at all of, I've joined Villa, I'm in the Premier League, I might need to leave the club now, but I don't want to drop back down to, to the old Division 1 because I've been there and done that and I want the chance to prove that I can play in the Premier League? Yeah, I'd had a, I'd had a couple of offers while I was at Villa to, 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 to move. Um, didn't think they were the right things to do. <clears throat> and then um, Trevor Francis was the manager at, uh, at Sheffield Wednesday. And he when Villa came into me originally, Sheffield Wednesday uh, were the two clubs that came in for me that Jim Smith had been talking to um, and obviously opted for, for Villa for the reasons I gave. Um, and then Sheffield Wednesday, you know, give you an opportunity to go and uh, go go and play, you know, regularly in the Premier League again under Trevor Francis. Um, so knowing that he'd had interest in me sort of uh, eighteen months previous, um, encouraged me to to to, to go and, and speak with the club and, and then ultimately sign um, because again it's a, a, another Premier League club and another chance to, uh, to to play and try and prove yourself at that level. And when we talk about Sheffield Wednesday, some of the players that were in the Sheffield Wednesday team over your spell there, I mean, you've got Chris Woods, Chris Waddle, David Hurst, Mark Wright, John Sheridan. You've even got the likes of Des Walker. Stevie Nicholl, the Liverpool legend, obviously, joins eventually as well. I mean, what was it like playing for Sheffield Wednesday in that period? Because the club were a Premier League club, which when you see where they are now and, and how much they've been striving to get back to the Premier League, it, it just tells a story about how successful the club were in their own right in that era. I mean, during your time there, the club also finished seventh in the Premier League, which again, when you think about where they are now and how much they want to just get back to the Premier League, phenomenal time for the club. Yeah, again, um, a, a club that had lots of internationals, um, some foreign players coming in, uh, obviously, we had uh, Carboni and De Canio that joined us uh, during that during my spell there. Um, so, a, a, you know, a big club in that league. You know, um, Hillsborough, the cop at Hillsborough. What a what a sound that made when it when everything was jumping. Um, again, um, you know, I didn't realise really how big Villa was till I left. And again, with Sheffield Wednesday, I didn't realise how big the club was until you just take it for granted that you're at Sheffield Wednesday. You know, you know it's a biggish club in the in the Premier League, but you don't realise how big until it leaves. Another club that you know status should be should be Premier League for sure at this moment in time, um, and and again um, you know playing playing you mentioned the names there Chris Chris Waddle I mean 
you know, um, you know, it's just, it's just, it's just incredible. You know, England players, Des Walker, um, you know, Welsh players, Mark Pembridge. You know, what a great player he was. Uh, there's, there's so many, you know, that I've that I've experienced playing football with that are, that that play for their countries. It's it's incredible that you you're playing alongside them uh, and with them, and they're your teammates. Um, you see them every day. Um, you know, David Hurst without his injuries, wow, what a player he could have really been. Uh, so it's you know it's. I do look back sometimes, and especially when I have conversations with people like yourselves, and think think back to myself. Blimey, I played with some good players. I played at a good standard. Um, because as you as you as the years go away, so it's like obviously thirty odd years ago. Now I was there that um, you know you you really you sorry twenty odd years ago. Uh, you really do you know look back and think you know, wow I was I was fortunate to play that level. Never thinking that I'd um, you know you know, 24, never think you'd be a professional. Um, the chance are gone. And then, you know, within six years, you're playing Premier League with some of the, you know, best players of the country. So, yeah, it was, it was, it was great to look back on. Um, it's great that, that uh, I, we can have these conversations with you, with people like yourselves that, uh, that, that want to bring back these memories and it's all flooding back to me. So it's, uh, it's great to talk about. And it's, again, it's the football world, isn't it? It's, it's stories from, from down the years that you talk to people about. Um, but, uh, but it was just, yeah, some, at the time, you don't think, oh, let's pinch myself, I'm already here. You just, you're just in it and you, just, you have to be aware of what's going on all the time. You can't, you can't not concentrate on what you're doing because you won't be in the team and then you'll be out and then you're, you, your career's finished. So you, you, you make so many sacrifices. Every player makes so many sacrifices, no matter what the league they're in, to be the best they can be. Um, but, it's, but it's football. It wasn't work, it was football. That's the biggest thing. I've got to ask you, Guy, what was it about you and facing Everton? Boxing Day, 1994, yeah. Goodison Park, you get a brace in that game in a 4-1 win. Then the following week, you have a 5-1 win at home to Coventry. Another brace for yourself. And that was a really great period for you and the team. But for yourself, what was it with you and Everton? Because you always seem to pop up with a goal against them. I know. I, I, there was an ex-army colleague uh, who was a, who, who'd gone out in the army. He was a photographer for Everton Football Club, and he <laughs> first, uh, you know, whenever I played them, I did pretty well against them. I scored from the Villa, scored from the Sheffield Wednesday uh, at at Goodison. Uh, it was a good ground for me, that's for sure, away ground for me. Um, yeah, listen, I don't think there's any, you know, any secrets to 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 success in terms of you know where you where you score and where you don't. It, sometimes it's luck. It's just one of those things. Um, I don't think I went into any game different from the other, um, but it just worked for me against against those players. Um, you know, I think I think the the, the the games I went there to with Sheffield Wednesday. Obviously, the first one was not long after I'd gone to to Sheffield Wednesday, so it was, it was great to get an opportunity to play up front because obviously I hadn't I hadn't been playing up front at Villa. So you know, you just you just want to unleash yourself and show people what you can do. I remember getting a phone call from Dean Saunders after the game saying, told the gaffer he shouldn't have sold you, told you he should have been in the team. So it was nice to hear from him. And that, that's the spirit you get on players as well, I think. It was, um, yeah, it was a good, it was a good club to me, for me to go and play at, for sure. I've got to ask you also, what was it like playing against the Manchester United team of that era? Eric Cantona's oh, yeah, Manchester wow. United team, because you, again, <laughs> goal scoring and prowess, you score at Old Trafford when, when you and Sheffield Wednesday draw two each we United Cantona scores two that day again with hindsight when you look back at that you think that was a world-class Manchester United team that you've went there and been able to compete with and score crucially as well yeah it was um you know you had the young Beckham's gigs goals coming through as well um Neville was on both Neville's were in, were in the squad you know it was it was a yeah it was uh, it's still still a massive place to go to isn't it Man United wow what a what a legacy they are in the game, um, and at the time, as you said, they were probably the team to to to, to try and to try and beat. And a, and a, you know, if you come away with a draw from that place, I remember other trips. Uh, was it a six-one loss? That wasn't so good either. <laughs> but I, but I do remember, um, you know, both you, you remember both those games. Uh, fantastic result for us uh, for, for that two-two. Um, but then you get the disappointment with the six-one that comes. You know. <laughs> There's been many people that have, have got up there and suffered defeats to them. Funnily enough, Peter Smeichel was on the pro license a couple of years ago. And in that 6-1 defeat, I slid in on him because you could do that as a player then. Um, and, I, I, and I think to myself, why and ever did I do that? But we, I showed him the video of that and he, he remembered that. Um, slid in on him and, and I got up first and put the ball in the net and we lost 6-1. Um, but it's, yeah, what a, what a place to go and play football. And, that, and, that's, 
And that's when you are a player and you're a professional. That's your ultimate dream is to go and play in places like, like Man United, like Anfield, you know, like Highbury, as it was then. They were, they were just awesome places to go to, great stadiums with great support. Talking of Anfield, that's another ground that you scored the winner at when, when you beat um, Liverpool 1-0 away from home, December 96. Um, that, crucially, was when Decanio and Carboni had arrived at the club. What did they bring to Sheffield Wednesday? You, you finished seventh that season, and, and, and from the outside looking in, we all know what Decanio's like. He played up here with Celtic, of course, and, and he always had that swagger and confidence. And, and for me, Carboni's one of those players that, when you look back, for me as a fan, watching the Premier League years, he just never seemed to score a bad goal. <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that's it. I think he uh, he didn't understand the, the, the terms of a tapping, uh, Carboni. Um, that, that's what they brought. You know, they brought a star quality. Uh, you know, they brought that something different uh, on the ball. I have to say, both off the ball, you can count on them to do anything. Um, but I think they understood that. Certainly, certainly Decanio understood that. You know, that, um, you know, we'll do running for you. If you're when you're on the ball, if you do something for us, we'll do your running for you, the rest of us. But you have to you have to make sure that when you get the ball, you create things. Um, and he said to him what he brought, he brought that and he brought a, a real, real professionalism. You know, he had his own uh, fitness, fitness coach at the time. Um, that I know David Pleat had to keep away from the club. He wanted to come in, but he'd go and do extra work with him. Um, you know, they, they brought some flair, you know, for sure. Absolutely. For sure. They brought flair to the to the game. Um, and that, I suppose, they, they were part of the, the influx of, of, of foreigners coming into the Premier League. Following Sheffield Wednesday, you have a couple of loan spells back at Portsmouth Watford, as we've talked about, before returning to, to Pompey on a permanent basis. They always say, Guy, never go back. What was it like second time around yeah. at Portsmouth? Yeah. Um, well, fortunately, uh, the, the time I went back on loan there, I, I scored goals again. And it just seemed to be a place that I just naturally scored goals. Um, that was on the loan. Uh, and then obviously at the end of my career, uh, I was 34, finished at Sheffield Wednesday, my contract had run out. Uh, and it was, uh, it was Alan Ball again, back at, back at Portsmouth. <clears throat> so got the call of, you know, he's trying to juggle things around. He, he wants to try and get me in if he can. Um, and I'm, you know, I'm yes, that's, you know, I had a couple of other, uh, lower league sides that, that, that were asking. Um, but you know, we'd had such a fantastic time in the four years here, made so many great friends, uh, obviously got all gone well with it with the fans um so it was a it was a it was a decision that was quite easy in the end really to to move back down um and move the whole family down um and where i'm speaking to you now is where we moved to we've been there 20 years so it's uh you know it was in terms of family and moving and career wise it was it was a good move it didn't work out obviously um i was a few years few years older um, not quite the same type of team that i was playing in um, but it was it was a good move for me to come back down here, and I've uh, I've enjoyed living here again. I've got to also ask you about your spell at Wickham now. Wickham are a club that, as we speak, are in the Championship. But when 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 you were at Wickham, you, you went in there for for a period of time. You were working under Laurie Sanchez, and and again, Wickham are a team that they they're a hard working team. They were playing in in the second division of the football league at that time. But crucially, they get to the FA Cup semi-finals, and you help them on their way. What was that experience like in the cup run? Well, that's incredible, really, because I gate crashed it. I gate crashed the semi-final. It was incredible. They just played the quarter-final um, when Laurie Sanchez got in touch, um, and they were they were in the semi-final. And I thought, how can I not go there and experience another semi-final? Obviously, I'd had the one with Portsmouth in my first stint, where we lost to Liverpool in the dying minutes of the game. Um, you know, so you know how I, how I couldn't go and experience that again. Uh, you know, I just couldn't turn the turn, uh, turn down the opportunity to go. Um, and and a, and a bunch of good guys. You know, some are still in touch with now. You know, that, that are um, good guys. Gareth was there at the time. You know, he's and he's doing a fantastic job with them. Fantastic job. Um, you know, it's uh, it's good to see that you know players. <coughs> you know, talking about uh, what I do at the FA now. You know, players that are putting in lots of hard work. Um, and, and getting getting rewards for it, you know. Um, who, who, whoever you know, who does measure level of achievements for for every individual, every club. But yeah, great experience. Uh, again, another loan period where you're going to meet lots of different strange players, or not strange players, players you don't really know, but but fitting in, you know. And and and, and through all that, you know, Callum, I think what whether it's non-league, whether it's playing at the park with your mates when I was in the army, whatever it is, changing rooms are pretty much the same. You know, what level of football you play, there's a level of banter. 
that's that's similar. Um, and the only difference is the noughts on the end of the paycheck. I think that's the only difference. And in terms of that spell at Wickham uh, and towards the end of your career, what's it like when you become the senior player? Because I always think in football, you, you go in as, as, as a young nipper, as they say, and you're, you're desperate to make an impression. We've talked about the impression you made at Waterlooville and Yeovil to get to Pompey, how well you do there to get to the Premier League. But when, when you're in at clubs like Oxford and, and Wickham, you're the experienced player. You're the guy that these younger players are looking at as the guy who's had that career in the Premier League and the guy who has achieved what they hope to achieve. So how do you handle that? And, 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 and were you someone that was always interested in investing in young players as well while you were still playing? Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't offer my advice if, 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 kids, if young players came to me. I'd certainly try and help them. <clears throat> but I think the biggest thing you can do as a, uh, as a senior pro is just be a good example of what a, pro, a good pro is. Uh, you know, train hard every day, eat the right things, conduct yourself properly. I think that's the biggest thing that you can do as a, as a more senior pro to, to show the younger players, you know, how you should, should really conduct yourself uh, both on and off the pitch. I think that was the biggest thing I did. And as, as, a, as a guy, when it comes to, to, to retirement, what, what, what was your feeling there? Because you obviously had a spell where you were player managing and then after that spell, was it a case of, of you thinking, right, coaching is something that I'm passionate about. I want to go into that full time. Yeah, I've done my coaching qualifications. I actually um, passed my UEFA A licence when I was at Villa uh, at 20, 28, 29. Um, and it was always something I was interested in. Um, I had no, no real desire or passion to be a manager. That wasn't at the fore, forefront of my mind, but I knew I wanted to coach. Um, and I, and I, didn't, I didn't really know what level I wanted to coach at, whether it was younger players or whether it was senior players. So, but, I, but, but obviously what I did do was, was study my qualifications um, with the FA. Um, so uh, I was ready when the, I like to think luck is, um, is being ready for the opportunity. Um, so, you know, I think I was ready for the opportunity when it, when it, when it came up. Um, at the end of my, my Portsmouth career, I, I had a chance to, uh, Noel Blake was down at Exeter. And I had a chance to go down there and, and become a, a player coach with him. Um, but I felt... At, at 36, which is what I was, that I had to, you know, I had to take the step sometime into coaching if that's what I wanted to do. Um, and there was a, a club, uh, Newport Isle of Wight, that were in um, the equivalent to the Conference South at the moment, offered me the chance to be player coach and then after a season become the manager. And I thought, I thought back to my career as a football player. So I'd started off, uh, you know, non-league uh, in the army. Uh, and it and it done it, it had done okay for me. I, I managed to to become a professional footballer in in the Premier League. So I thought I'd I practice um, you know the same with 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 coaching and, and management. Go into non-league, see if it, see if you like it, see if it suits you. Uh, in many ways, making mistakes that that you know don't cost you a career in management. Um, <clears throat> so I, I did that. I, I was also work. I'd also applied for a job with the PFA in, in coach development. So becoming a, a, a tutor, a coach educator. Um, so I was doing that. I was doing Newport, Isle of Wight. And I was also staying in touch with, with Portsmouth, with their academy, and able to go in and work with their 15s at times. So, um, you know, finishing playing, uh, probably busier than I was as a player uh, because I was coaching two teams um, and working for the PFA at the time. But, but absolutely getting lots of information about how to coach, making lots of mistakes, trying to learn from them um, and just full on, you know, I think, I think as a football player and a, and a coach or manager, you, you, you've got to have the backing of your family and especially your wife. And that's the commitment that, you, that they, they have to understand. And, and my wife certainly did and family certainly did. So those beginning years of becoming a coach, uh, becoming a manager um, were, were gr a great grounding for me. Um, you know, for later on during my career. And, in, in, and later on in your career, you, you go on to become the Portsmouth manager. Now, for context, for those listening, Portsmouth, of course, won the FA Cup in 2000 and 2008, uh, an incredible achievement for the club. They were riding high in the Premier League, but a lot of difficulties after life in the Premier League where they, they were dropping down the divisions. You take over Portsmouth um, when, when they're in League Two, a really tough job on your hands there. What was life like at the club at that point? And crucially, as a manager, 
how hard is it to galvanise a squad when finances aren't particularly strong, morale isn't particularly strong because the fans know where they were only four, four or five years ago and, and they're, I suppose, in a way, struggling to deal with the reality of where they, where they were at that time? Yeah, sure. Um, if I, first of all, go back to 2008 when I, I did my pro licence the previous year with Tony Adams, and he'd taken over from Harry Redknapp and asked me if I wanted to go back as, a, as the 21s coach. It's the 23s now in the Premier League. <clears throat> and that, again, that was practice for me in a role that, you know, I led, I led the 23, 21s. I had my own budget. I could source players, bring players up, decisions were mine. And through those, through those six years until I left uh, after being sacked as a manager, uh, there, was, there was two administrations. You know, it was, it was tough times at Portsmouth. Um, you know, you'd have the glories of the FA Cup win. Um, but everybody knew something... Something this this should be happening to Portsmouth Football Club, you know this is this is too good. Uh, I think Harry Redknapp said himself, you know things will never be better than this after the after winning the FA Cup in two thousand and eight, and they weren't. Um, and I think also having a connection with the with the fans and having been a player at the club and knowing all the staff really well, um, you know it was it was it was really difficult times during those administrations when. When people people who, who were so passionate about the club and work for the club and live and breathe the club, they lost their jobs and they were good people and it was and it was tough. Um, so to be asked to, to manage the club after a second administration, after basically fans had, had, had taken over the club and were now owning the club, was it was a huge privilege. But it was tough. It was really tough. Um, expectations, obviously, from you know five years ago, having won the having won the uh, FA Cup, were high. Of course, they were. Um, you know, I took over as, as caretaker manager in the November um, <clears throat> and we were in League One um, and we hadn't won a game for five or six games, I think. And then we went on not to win a game for another eight, 18 or 16 or 17 or 18 games. Um, but there was players leaving. Players didn't want to play. Uh, players knew that administration, they weren't getting paid. Players knew that come January, they, they were on a free transfer if they needed it, you know, and, do, you know, if they if they play and they get injured, are they are they going to get away? So uh, you know, there were some tough decisions to be made, um, really tough decisions made from the administrators, um, cutting staff, uh, releasing players. Um, the first the first day I took over, and it was, Trevor Birch was the administrator at the time, and he was doing a great job. He's now he's now at Chelsea, um, as sort of their uh, director of football, uh, having been the chairman uh, at Swansea. And I thought he would dealt with it as possibly the best he could, uh, better than the other administrators that came in, uh, was straight up with you, gave you a choice. So, so when I actually took over as caretaker manager, um, when he asked me and I took over, the next conversation was about, right, we've got to lose, I think it was four million off the wages. Um, or perhaps it was you know, maybe two million off the wages. So we had to get rid of three players straight away. And obviously they're your best players. Straight away, your best players have to go. That's what you have to do. Um, so I remember, I remember going into one game uh, and we had 13 players and two of those were goalkeepers. And I think, I think it was Wimbledon, we were, uh, not Wimbledon, I think it was Wickham we were due to play. And the game got cancelled because of snow. And it gave us a chance just to bring in a few more players. Um, but yeah, they were, they were hard times. You know, you were getting kicked out of your training ground. That's it, you're not, you know, you're not, what do you mean? Getting, yeah, you've got to go and find somewhere. A month's time, we're getting kicked out of our training ground. That, that, you know, we've been in since, since the Premier League days which was a great, it, was, it wasn't our own. It was a good facility, but it wasn't our own. So we had to go and train on parks, you know, and we, uh, we, we, we used the Navy a few times. <coughs> um, so, and university sometimes. So it was, yeah, it was a tough period. But you know, as a manager, that results are everything. You know, that's, that's it. When you, when you take over as a manager, you, you can't be fooled about, you know, performance is king. You know, you, you have a good performance and the results will come. It didn't matter. It was the results that mattered. That's all that matters, um, and it's and it's true to this day. You know, you have to as a, as a manager or a coach, you have to get the results, no matter how well you're playing, how good things are. If you don't get, if you don't, if you, you lose three in a row, you could be your job could be in jeopardy. So you know that as a manager taking over, um, and I was very aware of that. Um, and the fans, the fans just want the fans just want good performances. They want players um, playing for the badge, if you like. I know it's a, 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 a saying, but. They want players. They want to see players putting everything in. Uh, if they have that, they, they accept it. But but they, ultimately, they want to win games and they want good results. Um, so you know, you know, that's what you have to deliver. Uh, but it was it was it was tough times. Certainly was tough times. And I'm not just on about for for all those involved in the playing side of Portsmouth. 
you know, for the fans as well. They were going through tough times as well, you know, a club they love that, you know, all but went out of business. They were so close, so close to, to, to losing everybody apart. You know, if it wasn't for the high net worth uh, fans that, that put into their pockets and, and, and got the club financially out of trouble, um, you know, it could be, it could have been a berry for sure. Um, and who's to say those, you know, these times as well, that that might not happen again. But it was, uh, you know, looking back now, although it was tough, I only have fond memories. You know, you know, working alongside some players that were, um, and coaches that, um, you know, Alan McLaughlin and, and Alan Knight, to, to name two that I brought in, that were well-renowned at Portsmouth for uh, for being good players and giving their all and, um, you know, brought them back in because that's what we needed at the time, those type of people to help the club out. Um, and look, if I, if I go into, if I go into, um, you know, the board itself, they were just, they were just big fans of the club, you know, wanting the best for the club. That's ultimately what they wanted. You mentioned it was difficult. You mentioned the, the finances, the the reality of the situation. <clears throat> Crucially, in the role that you're in now, does that experience really help you in the sense that when you're educating coaches, you've been a manager yourself, you've been a coach at various levels yourself, but you've experienced the highs of football and the lows of football. So do you feel that in your, your current role, the experience you had when you were Portsmouth manager, given the, the, the extreme set of circumstances that... Where we're put on you, do do you feel that that helps you now? Uh, without without a shadow of a doubt, yes. Um, you know, two extremes. Darren Way was at Yeovil. He was on the course, and um, you know, I, I'm in his I'm in his office. He gets a, he gets a call from the chairman. He's trying to sign a player. <clears throat> he's trying to sign a player on loan, and it's three hundred quid a week. That's what he's trying to get out of the chairman. You know, and I'm listening to the conversation, and I and I know and I know I've been there. You know, I can understand what he's going through. You know, um, you know Frank Lampard at Chelsea when he tells me some of the stories about what's going on behind the scenes and what he's trying to do. I have, I have exactly the same uh, reflections on my time at Portsmouth. You know, so it's it's incredible that that you know that the experiences I had back in 2013 um, are the same as happening now. There's no difference. Um, so it's from the point of view of, of the, the coaches you're supporting, I think it's a great advantage that, I, that I've been in their shoes. Uh, and I think that I think that's what they appreciate as well, that I've experienced that. So, yeah, it's, it's definitely helped me uh, support support young coaches coming through now. Before I let you go, as a, as a forward thinking player, I've got to ask you, what was your favourite goal you scored in your career? Yeah, it's, uh, it's one I get asked regularly, actually. It was against Bristol Rovers at home. Um, I think they had a corner or a free kick and we've got the ball out of defence. Uh, I think I'm just outside the 18-yard box and me and Paul Walsh exchanged, uh, I think, a couple of one-twos down the left-hand side, right in front of the south stand. Uh, and he plays me through and I just chip it over the goalkeeper as he's diving down. I think, you know, myself and him almost going all the way up the pitch, just just playing between ourselves and all the Bristol Rovers players trying to, trying to rush back and stop us. I think that was my favourite. Brilliant. Guy, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for your time and I wish you every success with, with your role at the FA as well. Thank you, Cameron. It's just a pleasure to talk football. So we'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make our home in a deep sea cave And our shells will all be open They'll be filled with song, they'll be filled with song We'll dive down to the ocean And we'll make 